When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan, and together we're taking you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today we have a particularly wintry podcast for you all. That's right, with snow finally on the mountains. We're heading up the slopes, bringing you our guide to winter recreation. Today, we're going to focus on activities that don't involve spending much time at a ski resort. And, you know, as anyone who listens to this podcast through and through knows, I love skiing. Uh, Uh, Really? Oh, my gosh. uh, Nothing new here. (laughs) But there's plenty of other stuff to do for folks who don't want to spend the weekends downhill skiing or shelling out a bunch of money for a lift ticket. So, Jamie, you're in that boat, more or less, yeah? Exactly. I'm not a skier, but I still want to enjoy all the majesty of the mountains in the wintertime. Um, I know a lot of other people are in that same position, too. So whether it's snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, sledding, or ski-joring, there's something for everyone in the mountains come wintertime. That's right. I mean, it's a completely different feel, as you know, up there in the winter. And just the views on the way up to Mount Hood, let's say, in the wintertime are enough to make you smile and kind of wish you were spending a little bit more time up there. So it makes you happy to call Oregon home. I mean, it's incredible. That profile of the mountain, there's just something so special about that. It warms my heart. Yeah, mine as well. You and our good pal, Dylan Pilaget, wrote uh, a couple of years ago, kind of the definitive guide to playing outside on Mount Hood come wintertime. And because that's probably the biggest outdoor destination, you know, singularly in our state, why don't we start there? I think that makes a lot of sense. And before we dive too deeply into Mount Hood and some of those other things to do, we should talk about uh, snowpark permits. Yeah, so pretty much anything you're going to want to do, for the most part, I think it's safe to say, is probably going to start out of a snowpark. And what is that, Jamie? A snowpark is basically a place to go experience snowy activities. It's kind of one of these weird designations. It's not a state park. It's not a Forest Service site. It's just a place where you can literally park and go enjoy the snow. Exactly. And the park itself is not anything special in and of itself. It's a parking lot that gives you access to other stuff nearby. I think maybe with a couple exceptions. And you can then 
get out into the wilderness and do your thing. Strike off into the snow. And each snow park is designated for different purposes. And when you look online at some of these snow parks, there's a great document that Oregon Department of Transportation put together that has all the snow parks in the state. We can put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. But each one designates whether you can do snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, snowmobiling, what have you, sledding. Mm-hmm. What you need to know before going out there is that you have to have a snow park permit to park there to enjoy that area. And you got to have it before you show up because there's not going to be a kiosk, you know, maybe in the same way that some other summer permit deals are set up. Maybe pick one up at a plaid pantry or a gas station or an outdoor shop or something like that on the way to the mountain. Yeah, pretty much any buy mart or if you're going through Sandy, you can get one at Next Adventure or any rental shop. Joe's Donuts apparently sells snow park permits. As if I need another excuse to stop (laughs) at Joe's Donuts. If I could get myself a cherry fritter, please, and a snow park permit to go. That sounds pretty good. (laughs) That's perfect. And the snow park permits are $4 for a day, $9 for three consecutive days, or $25 annually. Although places that sell them can also upcharge if they want. Yeah, they can mark it up a little bit. But that's the basic fee you're going to pay. Yeah. And so, Jamie, you've rattled off a number of kind of different things you can do once you arrive at these snow parks. So let's maybe pick an example up on Mount Hood. Uh, let's say White River West. It's kind of out between Mount Hood Meadows and Timberline Lodge. It's kind of a snow play area alongside a river. You can go sled there. You can tube there. You can cross country ski. What are some other things you can get into up on the mountain? Like you said, I mean, those are the big ones. I mean, cross country skiing is going to be your primary activity that you can do. Yeah. And pretty much anywhere you cross country ski, you can also go snowshoeing. There's uh, a couple exceptions. The one big one being Teacup, Teacup Lake, Lake yeah. which is groomed specifically specifically for cross-country skiers. But those are the kind of the two big things you can do is cross-country ski, go snowshoeing, certain places that have a good hill, you can do sledding. Mm-hmm. And there's also places where you can do stuff with your dogs, whether it's mushing or ski-joring. And I think maybe the most accessible couple of things that folks can do in the winter, if you're not an experienced winter outdoors person yourself, you've got sledding, of course, mm-hmm. you've got just kind of a, a winter hike, and you've got snowshoeing. And you wrote last year, I believe it was, Jamie, about your first time going snowshoeing up on Mount Hood. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It was a really cool experience, I thought. The snowshoeing, they say it's basically like hiking, basically like walking, but just with snowshoes on. And I was a little skeptical about that. I was like, okay, sure. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. And it was that simple, though. As it turns out, it was really, really simple. I went to uh, Sandy and stopped at Next Adventure and rented a pair of snowshoes and went up there to Bennett Pass mm-hmm. and did a nice little hike around that area. Just kind of followed the trails and saw where I could go and climbed up a hill and got a great view of Mount Hood from there. Sort of framed by those trees and it was perfectly snow-capped. It was beautiful. And snowshoeing is kind of a method that allows you to access terrain that you might be really familiar with in the summertime but couldn't get to unless the trail is super packed down by a bunch of feet, if if that makes sense. I mean, it allows you to do stuff, reach areas that you wouldn't otherwise necessarily be able to if you were on foot. Exactly. And I think snowshoeing is best when you have that kind of powdery snow Mm -hmm. and it gets compacted or it's really icy. It was just the case when I went and been it past. And at certain points on the trail, I felt like I might as well just be walking with regular shoes at this point. But when you do get a lot of snow and that fresh snow up in Mount Hood and it's going to be too onerous to try to walk in boots and you're just post holding through it it's great to have that broader foot to be able to move through that area and like you said get access to these places that normally 
are more difficult to access in the wintertime. And there are still spots where you can just walk around in your boots up there on the mountain. You can do a standard winter hike. Do you have any favorites that you'd want to shout out? I just recently went to the Eagle Creek Trail, the other mm-hmm. Eagle Creek Trail. The other trail. one, not the closed one in the gorge. Right, which is just in the Salmon Huckleberry Wilderness. It's not quite on Mount Hood, but it's within the Mount Hood National Forest. And it's low enough that you can go there and there wasn't any snow. And it was a beautiful little quiet forested trail that was really nice too. I like that. Sounds pretty great. Another really accessible activity, of course, we mentioned earlier, just going up and going sledding, going tubing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know you can go to Ski Bowl. You can do your cosmic tubing. You can get set up with kind of a more official deal. But what if you just want to go out and play in the snow a little bit and and frolic, as they say? There are so many good places to go sledding, especially if you have kids. This is an awesome activity to do. If you're talking about just in the Mount Hood area, sure, you can go to Little John Snow Park, Multiport Snow Park, Snow Bunny Sliding Area, White River West, as we mentioned earlier. Those are all great spots to go sledding, and there are places all around the region. Again, if you go to this snow parks list that ODOT has, it'll show you here's every place in the state that you can go sledding. Might have to check it out. I actually haven't been sledding in a very long time, I, I think. Don't, yeah, I don't think I've been sledding since I was like eight years old. I kind of want to go sledding, actually. It sounds kind of nice. I mean, they do it with the cosmic tubing yeah. up at which part? The ski bowl. Ski bowl does the cosmic tubing. And, and I take that back. I have Dylan, the guy we mentioned a little bit ago, Dylan Pilaget, former Oregonian reporter, and I went cosmic tubing during a night of night skiing at ski bowl a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's pretty fun. I mean, there's not a lot of other activities you can do as an adult save like one of those big slides at the fair where you like hop on a old sack or something and slide down this really fun <laughs> bumpy slide that you kind of get that feeling see back in the old day on mount hood they used to have the the luge oh man that is something i would not want to try people would get on their sleds head first no helmets no of not course me. this was like 1920 <laughs> and they would go i think they would get to like 30 miles an hour on these ice luges yeah i don't want anything to do with an ice luge <laughs> no. i can say that for sure that sounds like not a good time pretty definitive from me. I tend to agree, Jim. So you, you mentioned maybe a little bit lesser of a high impact activity here, Nordic skiing or cross country skiing. Earlier, we talked Teacup Lake, which is, I am not personally a Nordic skier, but I've heard it's just a gorgeous little spot out there. Have you done, I know you do a lot of downhill skiing. Have you done much cross country skiing? So I grew up in Michigan and in a very snowy little town. And where I grew up, I think it was like maybe fourth, fifth, or sixth grade or somewhere in that range. They had a fleet of cross country skis for all of the students and for our gym class we would go out and go cross-country skiing. And so I did it a couple times as a little guy, as a youngster, and then my my mother likes to cross-country ski as well. So I've tried a couple times, and I do very much enjoy it. I don't have my own gear and haven't been into it recently, but would recommend checking it out. And I've heard Teacup Lake is a super good place to do it. That's something that I've wanted to try for the first time, maybe this winter even, cross-country skiing. It's something that I, I'm wondering, is it something that's easy enough where I can get some gear at, say, Next Adventure or anywhere in Sandy and just go? Or should I sign up with like a, an instructor, like a, like a meetup of people to kind of learn the basics first? I think if you set your expectations accordingly, it'd definitely be something you can go out and do on your own. I mean, the elevation up and down, as I understand it to be at a Nordic track, You know, they've got probably a beginner trail, an intermediate trail, maybe an advanced trail. Again, I don't know for sure. But if you pick out a beginner trail that's mostly flat, 
it's all groomed. It's really nice. You know, at some of these established Nordic skiing places, I don't see why you couldn't go out and try it yourself right away. In fact, I think you should, and you should report back. Oh man. Yeah. It'll either be a beautiful experience or a total disaster, but it'll be a great story either way. I, I think no matter what, you'll walk back with something, something to report. <laughs> so also, can I just say that doing cross country skiing in gym class is like the most Michigan thing I have ever heard of in my life. And I love it. I think so too. I mean, coming to school, having your snow pants, full jacket, <laughs> everything ready to go. That is a very Michigan story. I, I would say. One of the things that I like to do as well, Jamie, that is a slight variation on the downhill skiing and also cross-country skiing is I have what you would refer to as like AT skis or touring skis. So skis that you can go downhill on, you know, standard alpine skis, but they also have an uphill capability essentially that allows you to strap what are called skins. So basically funky pieces of carpet to the bottom of your skis and cross-country ski up the mountain and then slide back down like normal. And uh, I very much enjoy doing that. It's not necessarily an activity that is mega popular among the masses, but is definitely on the rise and kind of allows you to get the best of all worlds. You get your downhill ski in, you get to explore a little place away from the beaten path, and you, know, you get to go break your own trail through the wilderness, which is pretty fun. Yeah, I've heard of people skinning, yeah, as they call it, to up to like Silcox Hut, for yep. example, up on Mount Hood, which looks like an amazing place. I'm not sure if you've been there. Yeah, exactly. So I've been up to that area a lot. You know, you can start from the Timberline Lodge parking lot. There's usually a climber's trail this time of year, kind of that Timberline grooms to the, it would be, I think, east of the ski area, roughly east of the ski area or along its border at the very least. And it takes you kind of up to the top of the Palmer chairlift, which is the highest chairlift on Mount Hood. And from there, you can ride down in any number of directions. But it's a beautiful area and a great way when the weather is good and the conditions are safe to experience a little bit of backcountry wilderness. That's a really great time. That sounds like an awesome experience to get back in there in these less explored places off the hills. Yeah, I mean, the Palmer area on Mount Hood doesn't necessarily fall under the less explored, but this time of year, very few people up there and super fun. There's one more activity I want to talk about, which is ski joring and mushing, which if you're not familiar with this, involves your dog or dogs. Ski joring, I think, is one of the, the more common and easier ones to do because it basically, as I understand it, can strap on your skis, like your cross-country skiing, and leash up your dog or dogs and have them pull you down the trail. I don't have a dog. I've never done this. I've seen pictures of people doing this and I've talked to friends who have done it to mixed experiences. Okay. It depends so, on your dog, so I think. I, I was going to say, what, what is this range from what to what here? From uncooperative pup to speed racer, basically? Yeah, I think, a lo I think pretty much the entire experience is down to how into it your dog is. <laughs> I think that's probably fair. You know, if your dog at least wants to you know, chase squirrels in the trees and run off the side of the trail. Probably not for you, but if you've got a dog who's maybe bred for this or who's really into pulling you on skis, it could be a really cool way, I'd imagine, to explore some of these trails as well. You know, I think I'm fairly confident in saying that this that it is not something that I would recommend just going and trying to do, right? <laughs> I think you're probably not going to have awesome results with that, but I do know there are, I'm fairly certain around near Bend, you can hook up with folks who do this and you can go check it out. At least my mushing, if not skijoring as well. Yeah, mushing, I'd imagine, requires a lot more. A lot more to do. Skijoring, yeah. I have never heard of anyone just casually trying. But then again, they may, and they may have a lot of success. So. I certainly have. Huh. Not the success part, but I've heard of people trying. 
Fair. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> right. Well, if anyone hears of Skidoring for the first time on the podcast, goes out and does it and has a story, let us know because I think that would be a heck of an experience. I would love to hear that. All right, Jamie, why don't you say we take a little break here and uh, come back and talk a little bit more about winter recreation here in Oregon. Okay, folks, so we have spent a lot of time talking about getting up on Mount Hood in the wintertime, but Jamie, there are lots of other places to get outside during Oregon's snowy months. So you can find snow from Mount Hood to Bend to Ashland to Joseph. Any recommendations? Yeah, I mean, there's, of course, the bigger ski areas in some of these other towns, which we can talk about in a second. But when we're talking about snow parks on Mount Hood, of course, there are snow parks everywhere in Oregon, especially along the Cascades and up in northeast Oregon as well as a few kind of scattered in southern Oregon and, and farther out near Burns. But if you're not going to be going on Mount Hood, i say Santiam Pass is a great place to go to. Willamette Pass, there's a lot of great places as well, and some spots around Bend, as well as some parts in southern Oregon around Medford between there and Klamath Falls. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for us kind of Portland-centric folks to recognize, look, you know, our views are largely cast on the mountain that we can see from our window every day when it's clear enough to see it. But there's lots of fun other spots to get outside in the winter. And anyone who drives over Sanium Pass or Willamette Pass this time of year can attest. There's plenty of snow up there. I'm sure there's plenty of fun to be had. It's not where I'm always setting my sights, uh, strictly because of geography. But if you're in the area or looking for something new, definitely would not hesitate to try something new down in that neck of the woods. And if you want to go to Bend, which is a great spot to go to in the wintertime, there are a lot of great snow parks in that area. Of course, you've got Mount Bachelor. There's Dutchman Flat, which is really popular. You've got Winoga Snowplay Area, which is great for sledding. There's all kinds of snow parks that are just close to town. You can go to have a good time, then go back to Bend and hang out for the night, the restaurants and pubs and all the great stuff there is there. For sure. And I think one of the things, too, that's absolutely worth touching on if we're going to discuss getting outside in the wintertime, which is you have to get there first. And oftentimes these roads are snowy or packed with ice or at the very least some slush or variable conditions. Maybe, Jamie, walk us through some super basic information on how to stay safe when traveling to and from. I mean, chains are the first one, right? A lot of these highways that you're going to be driving on to get to these snow parks or ski areas are going to require that you at least carry chains, if not chain up if the conditions get pretty dicey. So you want to make sure you carry chains. You want to make sure you carry extra supplies in your car, whether that's food or warmth. You hear every year stories of people who drive out to go do this exact kind of thing who get caught in the snow and have to sleep in their car for three or four days waiting for someone to come rescue them. And if that's the case, you got to have food in your car so you don't end up just starving out there in the middle of nowhere. So pack your chains. If it seems like you're going to have to use them, put them on your car. If you're in a vehicle where you're equipped with traction tires, that will suffice under most conditions. And pack your supplies. So be ready for at least an overnight uh, in the event that that's something you need to do. Once you're there, right, it's still a matter of in the summertime, you're going to pack your 10 essentials when you're out on the trail. In the wintertime, Jamie, I assume you're going to want to do that and then a little bit more. Yeah, I think you can probably speak to this better yeah. than I can, Jim. But I mean, when I am going out in the wintertime, I basically wear my hiking clothes plus a jacket plus layers underneath. And that usually is enough for me because, I mean, you think it's cold out, of course. But once you're getting active, once you're moving a lot, 
then you're just going to warm up naturally. And you don't want to just layer up so much that you completely overheat in the trail. I think a lot of it is, and what I've been taught is managing it so you're sufficiently warm, but you're not overheating or sweating. Because once you start to sweat, your clothes might get damp. Then if you cool down, say you take a break, your clothes could get a little bit cold, your body heat diminishes, and you could put yourself in a compromised position. So layering is the big thing this time of year. We, we say it kind of all year round in the summertime. Maybe you want to have a couple different layers in your bag. In the wintertime, it's even more pronounced where you know you may be doing an aerobic activity that requires you to only be wearing, let's say, a light sun shirt and a vest over top. But if you need to, say, take a break from your cross-country skiing and eat a snack, have some water, you're going to want to be able to put on maybe a puffy jacket and a shell if you're going to be sitting there for 15, 20 minutes taking a break. That said, additionally, if weather rolls in and you're out there, you're doing an aerobic activity and it starts to get a little bit windier or it starts to snow, you're going to want to have at least one extra warm layer and some sort of shell layer to keep the elements at least off of your base layer of clothing. So I would always recommend having at least a puffy in your backpack or a shell or ideally both if you're not wearing those things already when you're out and about. Let me ask you this, Jim. This is my big problem when I go out in the snow, especially fingers and toes. Mm -hmm. Always getting cold. Maybe this is just a circulation problem that I have personally. Nope, Nope, it (laughs) is not. Wonderful. It's great to hear. How do you maintain warmth on your hands and your feet? So the first place you could turn is chemical heat. Those little packets, you shake them up. You ever seen these hand warmers? Oh, sure, yeah. You can buy them at any outdoor store, most likely. And those things are good. I usually tend to keep a pair in my backpack or my emergency kit just in case. They can provide pretty quick relief for freezing digits, specifically your hands and your fingers. Inside my glove, that's kind of a quick fix. Ultimately, you know, may or may not solve your problem. You see a lot of folks kind of breathing into their hands, you know, a cupped hand, breathing warm air into it. I found that not to be the most effective way to warm my hands, let's say in the absence of a hand warmer or something like that. One tip that I've recently caught on to is standing up and swinging your arm around in a big circle, kind of rapidly in succession quite a bit. I'm I'm doing this in the studio right now. Jamie's (laughs) just kind of looking looking at me. Classic uh, arm circles, like classic, we're back in gym class. Like we're back in gym class, getting the circulation, getting the blood flowing to your hands and fingers a little bit more. I found that to work quite well. And for feet, that, yeah, that's kind of difficult. I mean, do jumping jacks, do some stair steppers, do things to get moving and get a little blood flow back into your feet. I generally run quite cold and I'm really trying to do everything I can to layer appropriately And then keep moving as much as possible, even if just slowly, so I don't get really cold. I don't want to take a 20-minute break where I'm sitting in the snow unless I really, really need to. What's your sock situation like? Sock situation, you hear a lot of folks say, oh, it's really cold. I'm going to wear multiple pairs of socks or my absolute thickest pair of socks. I don't abide by that rule. And I think a lot of other people who spend a lot of time in the snow also do not abide by that rule where I will buy one nice pair of good, like a smart wool sock or brand notwithstanding, some sort of wool or merino sock that is meant for that kind of activity. So if I'm doing something more mountaineering style, I have more of a mountaineering sock. If I'm out skiing, I'll have a ski sock. Brands make these specifically for the activity that you're going out to do. And simply pulling out the thickest pair of socks from your drawer, a cotton old sock, probably not going to serve you best. 
I think I, the cotton socks generally should never be worn in any kind of outdoor activity. I could do a whole podcast on cotton socks. I'm sure you have a lot to say about that as well. I could say enough to fill a third of a podcast <laughs> on cotton socks. I don't know that I could do a whole one. But, I mean, point taken. Yeah, I mean, it's just not the best thing to wear. Really no cotton at all this time of year or ever, really, if we're being honest. And just to round out our attire going out there, boots. I know that I've got a pair of waterproof hiking boots that I wear. That's pretty much the best that I have. I don't have any kind of like snow boot specifically. Would you recommend having a specific snow boot when you're doing things like snowshoeing or cross-country skiing? I mean, it depends how avid you are in going out all the time. If you're spending a lot of time in the teens and 20s and really feel like you want to invest in a tried-and-true winter boot, go for it. If you're going to go twice a year, for short trips on designated trails where you can sneak back to your car pretty fast, your hiking boots are probably fine. Ultimately, I think it's important to have something that you feel comfortable in, that you're not going to blister up a ton in, and that you can wear a more athletic sock inside comfortably. If you're into it big time and you spend many, many hours out cross-country skiing, you're going to want a good pair of cross-country ski boots. If you're spending a lot of time snowshoeing, likewise for a good pair of regular winter boots. I ski a ton, so I have a nice pair of ski boots that are fitted well to my feet. The price point thing is a notable deal for anyone who wants to get into any outdoor sports just because simply there can be high barriers to entry. And that's why things like snowshoeing are great because all you got to do is go rent a pair of snowshoes for like 20 bucks. Maybe have some trekking poles that you use during the summer and footwear that you would use on a standard trail. That's why it appeals to me too, in part, because hiking is is so affordable. The gas it takes to get you to the trailhead aside, all you need are, you know, a decent pair of hiking shoes mm-hmm. and, you know, a bottle of water and you're, you're pretty much set. 10 essentials, of course, all that. But when you go skiing, if I'm going to go up to spend a day at Meadows, for example, and I don't have my own gear, then I'm renting boots, I'm renting yep. skis or a snowboard, yep. and that can add up really fast. In addition, of course, the lift ticket. Yeah, it can be a pricey endeavor, and it's difficult when you're in the, like, I'm going to do this once or twice a year category. You know, I'm an avid skier, so I have all my own ski gear. And folks who never go skiing don't have to deal with buying any of that gear. But folks who go once or twice, it's like, man, it's not really worth it for me to buy all my own stuff, but it's also going to cost me a pretty significant chunk of change every time I want to rent. So snowshoeing kind of threads the needle there and allows you to do something fun in the winter without spending a ton of money to do it. And that's what I love about the snow parks in general, because you can show up at a snow park, whether you want to snowshoe or not. I mean, you can go to these sledding areas and just show up and hang out in the snow. Yeah. I bet someone someone will let you borrow their sled as a matter of fact (laughs) if you if you go at the end of the day or even show up in the morning i guarantee you there will be a dumpster full of hardly used or broken sleds this happens every year Hmm. i know the forest service gets angry about this every single year people take their sleds and they dump them at the the end of the day so if you're going to go sledding maybe invest in like a nicer sled that you're going to use every year instead of spending five bucks on some cheap sled that's just going to snap in half and you're going to try to throw in the dumpster at the end of the day you heard it here first folks get in on the good sleds Uh, don't buy the five (laughs) dollar ones you're going to be happier exactly jim all this talk about snow has me thinking about you and your winter plans do you have any big adventures that we haven't talked about before on the horizon here one of the things and i kind of referenced this uh, a little bit ago that i want to get out and do a little bit more of this winter is backcountry skiing so 
I talked about how I, I have a pair of skis that have special bindings that allow you to have a, a free heel so you can go up and down, basically. So I unlatch my heel, put on these skins, and go uphill. And then when I'm done going uphill, I can take off the skins or these pieces of carpet-like things from the bottom of my ski and lock my heel in and go right back down. And in the wintertime... I have a real propensity to go skiing in the resort because you can just do laps all day long. You can get in a lot of skiing in a short amount of time. But it's a completely different experience to go somewhere outside of a ski resort, break your own trail going uphill. You're out there in more untouched snow. Maybe someone's already set a track uphill, maybe not. And get to have a more wilderness experience than you get going to Timberline or Ski Bowl or Mount Hood Meadows. And I haven't done really any of that this winter. I do that all through the spring and summer when I can, but none in the wintertime. So I'm vowing to get outside of the ski area boundaries a little bit. Just do a little something new. Yeah, I like it. That's what I'm looking forward to. Break out of your comfort zone, get out there. Get out there a little bit. And, you know, a lot of the time, this time of year, you really have to be paying close attention to conditions and, you know, inherent dangers that come with spending time in very deep snow outside of a maintained ski area. And and that's one of the reasons why I don't spend as much time in the backcountry this time of year, just because I don't have a super high experience level calling a lot of those decisions on my own. So... Hopefully soon I'll get outside and uh, have a little bit to report back. Look forward to hearing about it. Yeah, man. What do you got going on? Jim, I got to tell you, I'm starting to feel a little stir crazy. Ooh. I'm like sitting at home looking at pictures from last spring and summer and researching all these trails I want to hike that aren't going to be open until this spring or summer. And I'm really just trying to find these places I can get out to hiking that aren't going to necessarily be snowy. Those, of course, are good, and the rainy ones, of course, too. But I'm just trying to find some places to get out more to alleviate this stir-craziness I'm having. So I was just talking to some folks recently who were recommending some hikes in the eastern side of the gorge Hmm. who said that they said that this is supposed to be a great spot to go hiking in the winter. So I've got a few different options I'm bouncing around in my head right now, and I'm going to take a look at some of those and see what they're like this time of year. Well, I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that, perhaps on a future episode. Perhaps we could do a whole East Gorge episode. I would like that. an area I don't know a ton about in terms of its outdoor offerings. So I bet a lot of folks would be excited. Well, Jamie, I think it's time to say goodbye for now. But until next time here on the podcast, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel, and of course, follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest. This episode of the podcast was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Dave Killen. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we'll leave you with this 10 Seconds of Zen.